Keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 8. Those verses which were just read will be our text this morning. Last week, we saw the power of God demonstrated over the natural world by Jesus Christ. He rebuked the wind and the waves, and they obeyed Him. What man can do this? No man. Such power belongs only to the Creator. And as we continue in Luke 8, we see the power of God demonstrated over the spiritual world by Jesus Christ. In our text this morning, we see how Jesus delivered a man from deep spiritual bondage. Just as Jesus had the power to command the elements of nature, so Jesus demonstrated that He had the power to command the spiritual world as well. In this text, we see a great bondage, a great deliverance, and a great commission. And we see Jesus revealed as the great Savior. By the grace of God, may all of us leave here today with a renewed focus on Jesus Christ, the great Savior. Before we begin, let's pray. Lord, we thank You again for this opportunity to be gathered together as the body. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, for the testimony that's been preserved here that we can read. We thank You for the the power that Your Word has to bring faith, to change hearts and lives. And Lord, we pray that our hearts be soft and open to the working of the Holy Spirit this morning, that You would affect in each and every heart here what it is that You would have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, first, in this text, we see a great bondage. A great bondage. Verse 26 tells us that Jesus and the disciples arrived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee at the country of the Gadarenes. Now, there's a little bit of debate about where exactly Luke is referring to here, but it seems to be the region that was named after the principal city, or a principal city in that region, Gadara. And it is located near the southeast end of the Sea of Galilee. Though the city itself is not specifically mentioned in Scripture, it is well known to history. The ruins of this city are still there today. And it was an important fortress city in that region, And it was also seen as a center of Greek culture. It was considered one of the most Hellenized cities in the area. The Jewish population in this city had adopted Greek culture. And because of this, the city had special political and economic privileges. It was one of the primary cities that made up the Decapolis, which was a league of ten cities in the surrounding regions, and they're mentioned several times in Scripture. It was an important city for Roman military and economic control in the region. And during periods when the Jews revolted against foreign powers, this city, although it had a large population of Jews, often sided with the foreign powers. This was the case during the Maccabean revolts, during the resistance to Pompey's invasion, and also the first Jewish revolt against Rome. They would take part in the brutal suppression of Jewish resistance to foreign rule. Now this historical context may give us some insight into why the people in this area responded to Jesus the way they did in this text. Now as Jesus and the disciples disembarked, they were met by a man in great bondage. And this passage tells us quite a bit about this man. Verse 27 tells us that he was from the city. He had come out of that city. At some point in the past, he had lived in that city. Now, whether he had been born there or had moved there later in life, we don't know. But he had come out from that city. 
And verse 27 also tells us that he had been demon-possessed for a long time. This was not a passing affliction. This was not a new bondage. For a long time, this had been his life. He lived under this bondage. It had been going on for a long time, and there was no end in sight. This verse also tells us that he did not wear any clothing. He went about naked. This demon possession possession had robbed him of his dignity. It is always the nature of sin to rob mankind of his dignity. Man is not a mere creature. He is made in the image of God. God created him with innate dignity, but sin robs man of his dignity. The world rejoices in behavior that robs men of their dignity. Shameful behavior is celebrated and encouraged. Our society encourages people to do shameful acts shamelessly. But to have no shame for sin is not a sign of freedom. It's the opposite. It's evidence of bondage. And so it was for the demon-possessed man in this text. He had been robbed of his dignity. He had no shame. And we see that as a result, he did not wear any clothing. And the last detail we see in verse 27 is that he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. A house is where people dwell. Tombs are where people are placed when they die. This man lived among the dead. Driven out from human society, he lived among the tombs. And living in the tombs indicates a deeper separation that we might not immediately think about. But contact with a grave made a person ceremonially unclean according to the Mosaic Law. Numbers 19 verse 16 stipulates... Whomsoever toucheth a grave shall be unclean seven days. By living in the tombs, this man was perpetually unclean. Even if he had wanted to, he would not have been allowed to take part in any form of worship that was part of the covenant community that God had established with Israel. He was ceremonially cut off. In verse 28, we see that the demon-possessed man saw Jesus as a tormentor, not a deliverer. Verse 28, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou Son of God Most High, I beseech thee, torment me not. The demons had such complete possession of this man that it was their voice that spoke to Jesus. So complete was his possession, he had no control over his faculties, at least at times. Now here was Jesus, one who had the power to deliver this man from demon possession. But he had no power to ask Jesus for deliverance. Instead, it was the demons who addressed Jesus. And notice what they said. First, they caused the possessed man to fall down before Jesus. As we'll see in the text, this was a powerful man. He was able to break chains. He's a terror and scourge to the countryside by the power of the demons indwelling him. And yet the demons, who know the identity of Jesus, caused this man to fall down before him. And the first thing they said was, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, Most High? As if he is saying, Why have you come? This does not concern you. You are God. We are possessing a sinful man. What have I to do with thee? And then the demons appeared to ask for mercy or reprieve. I beseech thee, torment me not. James 2.19 tells us, 
Thou believest in God, excuse me, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The devils have a fear of God. They know that judgment is coming. The devils know who Jesus is, and they know that one day He will judge them. And so these demons said to Jesus, Torment me not! This demon-possessed man saw Jesus as a tormentor, not a deliverer. Now in verse 29, we're told that the demons would often seize this man. His behavior was so bad, and his condition was so notorious that he was at times kept bound with chains and fetters. No one could help this man. They had no solution for his bondage. The best they could do was bind him securely, so that when he was seized, he could not hurt anyone else. But not even this was successful. Under the power of demon possession, he would break those chains and fetters, and the demons were told to drive him out into the wilderness. Again, away from other people, away from the comfort and fellowship of friends and family. So just another aspect of the terrible oppression this man suffered. And the final detail I want us to consider about this demon-possessed man from this text is found in verse 30, where we read that his name is Legion for all the demons that possessed him. Now, Legion was the largest unit in the Roman army at this time in history, had a strength of about 6,000 men. Now, it seems almost impossible that one man could be possessed by so many demons, and it could be hyperbole, Though we do know from Mark's account that it was a herd of about 2,000 swine that these demons went on to possess. And we can read Mark's account in Mark 5. Verse 13 specifically mentions the number of swine. But regardless of the exact number of demons, this was a mighty and terrible oppression. Legion. The demon-possessed man in this text was under a great bondage. Now let's make application to ourselves. If you are outside of Christ... If you are not a Christian, you are in great bondage. Bondage to sin. The Bible warns that you are under the power of Satan. Listen to the description we find in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened. So this was addressed to Christians who were dead. So before salvation, this was your condition. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, reference to Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our life, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says, The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. 2 Timothy 2, 26 describes unbelievers as in the snare of the devil and taken captive by him at his will. Just as the possessed man's bondage cost him terribly, so bondage to sin and Satan comes at a terrible cost. Sin is the way of death. Sin is poison. It destroys all that it touches. When we sin, we act against ourselves, against others, and worst of all, against God. And one of the greatest dangers of sin is its subtlety. Sin on the surface, in the moment, doesn't seem so bad. Sin agrees with our nature. We like it. 
And though we hear a thousand warnings, we carry on, paying no heed to the danger until it is eternally too late. Take warning. Do not be deceived. There is no freedom in sin, only bondage and death. So far from our text, we've looked at the great bondage suffered by the demon-possessed man. And by the grace of God, you might not be possessed. But if you are not a Christian, you too are in great bondage. Sin reigns within you. And although you may do as you please, what pleases you is sin. And sin only leads to one place, and that is death. Like the demon-possessed man, you see Jesus not as a deliverer, but as a tormentor. What you need is great deliverance. And that is what we will see next in our text. A great deliverance. The beginning of verse 29 tells us that Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out of this man. And it seems that the words from the demons that we looked at earlier were in response to this command. Jesus commanded them to come out of the man, and the demons replied, What have I to do with thee? And then they went on, I beseech thee, torment me not. The command of Jesus was enough. The demons could not hope to receive any reprieve from him. There is no negotiation here. The demons have no hope of receiving mercy from Jesus, but they try. In verse 31, the devils asked Jesus not to command them to go out into the deep. This is the judgment that the demons will ultimately face. They will be bound in hell, cast into the lake of fire. And just like us, the demons do not know when the ultimate day of judgment will come. But sinful man and demon alike see any day of judgment as having come too soon. We seek a reprieve from God's day of judgment. But not to repent, rather to press on in sin. If you are not a Christian, do not abuse the mercy of God. Every day that the Lord suffers this wicked world to go on is a day of mercy. Repent, for a day of judgment is coming. Now, verse 32, the demons requested Jesus to suffer them to possess a nearby herd of swine. And this is an interesting request. First, it's interesting that there is a herd of swine nearby. These animals would have been offensive to conservative Jews. They still are today. But remember, this was a very Hellenized portion of Israel. Greek influence was very strong. There was also a large number of Gentiles who lived in this area. These swine may have belonged to Gentiles, or they may have belonged to Jewish farmers who lived in the area and were selling them to the local Gentile population. But regardless of who owned them, the herd of swine was probably not something you would have found in Judea or in Galilee. And because the swine were unclean animals, the demons may have thought that Jesus wouldn't care. Maybe these unclean animals were outside of his sphere of authority, or at the very least, outside of his sphere of concern. We may lose our human host. Let's try to get the best, most secure accommodations we can for the time. Jesus, let us go out into these swine. Now, what does Jesus do with this request? Remarkably, the end of verse 32 tells us, and he suffered them. And he suffered them. The Lord granted this request. Did Jesus make a deal with these devils? Did the Lord compromise or bend his command? God forbid. There is no hint of compromise or negotiation with these demons. Jesus was going to deliver this man, and these demons would be left with nothing. The man would be set free, and the demons would not possess anyone else. And remarkably, 
In suffering the demons to do as they requested, Jesus accomplished both of these things. And we can learn from this, that the judgment of God is not bound by the will of the creature. Woe to the wicked who think they can bargain with God. Woe to the wicked who think they are free in their sin. Woe to those who think they can escape Christ's authority. You cannot escape God's judgment. When God releases His restraints, the restraints of conscience, the restraints of institutions, the restraints of authority, the restraints of providential hindrance, don't mistake that for freedom. Those restraints are part of the common mercy of God that holds back human wickedness. And when God removes those restraints, He's removing His mercy and bringing you into judgment. We are so inclined by our nature to be contrary to righteousness that we bring ourselves to judgment. If God lets you go into a sinful path that you desire, be assured that it will ultimately lead to the judgment that God has ordained. If you will not submit yourself to the grace of God in Jesus Christ, you will face God's judgment. There's no escape. You can't bargain with God. You can't escape His kingdom, His realm of authority. And we see that clearly in this text. Verse 33, we read that the swine immediately ran into the lake and were drowned. This is unnatural behavior for swine. Pigs are extremely intelligent animals. Studies have found that pigs are more intelligent than dogs and even chimpanzees. Other herd animals have been known to foolishly self-destruct, like sheep following each other as they jump off of cliffs. But pigs don't do that. They're very intelligent. Pigs can also swim. They're natural swimmers. That is, they are born with the ability to swim. And they're naturally buoyant. Because of their large lungs and their high body fat percentage, they float. It's difficult for a pig to drown. The mass self-extermination we see in this passage is unnatural to swine. Now, whether these swine destroy themselves of their own volition, or under the influence of demons, or by the direct command of God, we see that God, again, accomplished His will in this. Throughout Scripture, when we see animals behaving in an unnatural way, it is often a sign that God is at work. When Balaam's donkey spoke, when the milk cows left their calves in the land of the Philistines and returned the ark to Israel, when ravens fed Elijah in the wilderness, when a great fish swallowed Jonah, all these times and more, these animals acted contrary to their nature, but in accordance to the will of the Creator. And so it was for this herd of swine, They would not serve as hosts for these demons. God would not allow it. And so these swine cast themselves into the Sea of Galilee and were destroyed. That was the end of these demons. We hear of them no more. They were cast out of their hosts. First the man, then these swine. Jesus triumphed over legion. We see the evidence of this great deliverance in verse 35. And when they went out... Excuse me. Yeah, and when they went out to see what was done, they came to Jesus and they found the man out of whom the devils were departed. Here's the evidence of his great deliverance. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. The wild man now sat at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. He was no longer driven as a madman, but sitting. Jesus had brought him rest. He was no longer naked, but clothed. Jesus had put away his shame. 
and brought him dignity. He was no longer insane, but he was in his right mind. Jesus had brought him sanity. And so it is when Jesus has brought us great deliverance from sin. We're no longer driven by our lusts, by our sins, but now we can rest in Jesus Christ. We no longer live in shame, or worse, oblivious to the shame that sin brings upon us. Rather, we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. He returns to us our dignity. We are no longer being conformed to the insanity of this world, but our minds are renewed in Jesus Christ. The power of sin is great. The bondage of sin is terrible. The end of sin is death. Praise God for our great deliverance. Jesus has broken the power of sin, set us free from bondage to sin, and He has delivered us from the judgment of sin, death itself. Praise God for our great Savior. Now notice the response of the people when they saw the deliverance Jesus had brought. Those who kept the swine went into the city and the surrounding region, and they told the people what had happened. Now I wonder what they said. Did they go into the city and did they say, the demon-possessed man has been delivered, the wild man who lives in the tombs, he is well. Or did they go into the city and did they say, the pigs are gone, the swine have been destroyed. Now remember, this was a huge number of pigs. Mark's Gospel says about 2,000. So as you would expect, the people came to see what had happened. What do you mean the pigs are gone? Or what do you mean the demon-possessed man is healed? They went to see for themselves. Now we are not told, interestingly, we're not told how they responded to the loss of their swine. But we are told how they responded when they saw the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And how did they respond? The end of verse 35 tells us they were afraid. They were afraid. This is the same response we saw last week from the disciples. When the disciples saw the power of God demonstrated by Jesus over creation, when He calmed the storm, they were afraid. And when the townspeople in this text saw the power of God to deliver from Satan's dominion, demonstrated by Jesus Christ, they too were afraid. It's the same word. It means terrified. Verse 37 tells us that they were taken with great fear. They were mega afraid, super afraid. Why? You would think that this would make them happy. This man had been a terror. Now he was tranquil. He had lived like a beast in the tombs, but now he sat at the feet of Jesus as a man, clothed and in his right mind. So why were they afraid? Consider this. They knew how to handle this man when he was demon-possessed. They could drive him out. They could chain him up. They could let him live out in the tombs like a wild animal and have nothing to do with him. But they didn't know how to respond when he was delivered. This was something they did not understand. This was something beyond them. This was a power they could not control. So they're afraid. And they asked Jesus to leave. They besought him to depart from them. There are two possible outcomes when you are exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the great Savior. Either you will experience great deliverance or you will seek separation from him. 
You can't temper the gospel. You can't take the parts you like and reject the parts you don't like. You can't control the gospel. You can't be neutral to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Either you accept Jesus Christ at His terms, by the grace of God, or you reject Him. There's no middle ground. Are you like the man seated at the feet of Jesus, the great Savior, or are you among those who ask Jesus to depart? Will you know God in His mercy, or will you face Him in His judgment? And as Christians, don't be surprised when the world rejects you. Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. And when you were living as a slave to sin, even if you were exceptionally obnoxious and destructive to others, the world knew how to handle that. They could ignore that. They could push you away. They could put some constraints upon you to limit the effect that your sin had on others. But now that you are a Christian, they don't know what to do with you. They want nothing to do with the power of God that can bring freedom from such bondage. Make no mistake, the world often likes the results of the gospel, but they don't like the terms of the gospel because the terms are unconditional surrender. So they reject Christ. They reject you. Count it as a blessing to suffer as our great Savior suffered. In Acts 5.41, after the apostles were publicly reprimanded and then beaten, we read, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. 1 Peter 2.23 says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hate you, Ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Do not be discouraged if the world rejects you. The Lord accepts you. Find your rest and your identity in Him. So far from our text, we've seen great bondage. Then we saw a great deliverance. We've made application to ourselves. In sin, we are in great bondage. In Jesus Christ, there is great deliverance. And the final point I want us to consider from this text is a great commission. In verse 37, we're told that after the people of that region had asked Jesus to leave, He got back in the boat and returned again to the other side of the lake. Again, a lesson for us. Beware of rejecting the Lord, for He may leave and you will be left in your sin. Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. The people asked Jesus to leave, and he left. But before Jesus left, the man who had been delivered made a request. Verse 38 tells us that the man wanted to stay with Jesus. This man who had been in bondage for a long time, when he was finally set free from that bondage, He did not want to return to the life he had lived before. His desires had changed. And now he wanted to stay with Jesus, his great Savior. And so it is for us. When we experience great deliverance in Jesus Christ, our affections change. Our desire will now be toward our great Savior. Now look at what Jesus said to this man in verse 39. Jesus said, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. Jesus sent him away. 
Specifically, Jesus told him to return to his house. He was told to go and to declare the great things that God had done for him. And the rest of verse 39 tells us that this man obeyed. Again, for years, he had been in great spiritual bondage and had been driven by his demonic masters to do all sorts of things. But now he had a new master, Jesus Christ. Jesus asked him to do something that was not his expressed desire. He wanted to stay with Jesus. Jesus sent him home to declare what God had done for him. And this man was no longer possessed. He's no longer driven against his will, but his will is now submitted to God. And we see in this text that he obeyed. He declared his deliverance in the whole city. He glorified Jesus, his great Savior. You and I, Christian, under command from Jesus Christ, having experienced great deliverance from a great bondage, we also have a great commission. How we may long to be with Jesus. Lord, if only I could be where you are. We feel, as Paul said, for me to die is gain. But the Lord does not bring us immediately into His bodily presence. He has ordained work for us to accomplish. Jesus commands us to go out and to testify to others of what great things God has done for us. And like the man in this text, may we be faithful with this commission. Declare to others what great things God has done for you. Magnify Jesus Christ before others. Rejoice in and glorify your great Savior. From our text this morning, we've seen a great bondage, a great deliverance, and a great commission. And in all of these things, we have seen Jesus revealed as a great Savior. All of us, apart from Christ, are under great bondage. The subtlety of sin is great. We may think that we are free, but in reality, if we do not serve God, we labor under the yoke of Satan. And there is no middle ground. You are either for Christ or you are against Him. If you are a Christian, you have experienced great deliverance. Your deliverance is no less significant than the deliverance of the man in this text. You were a dead man under the power of Satan, but by the grace of God, you were brought to life in Jesus Christ. As this man was given a commission from Christ, so you, Christian, have a great commission. Jesus commands you to bear testimony to others of what God has done for you. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony of this man. Thank you, Lord, how we see you continuing to the miracles that we're looking at here in Luke. You're continuing to unfold your power, continuing to uh, complete that mission that was declared in, in Luke 4, bringing freedom to those in bondage, setting the captives free. Lord, we pray that we would take what is here and that we would apply it correctly in our lives. Lord, that the Holy Spirit would bring these things to our mind. Lord, that we would rejoice in You, our great Savior, that we would rejoice that You have delivered us from the terrible, terrible bondage that we were in. Lord, may we never return. May we never go back to these sins that You have set us free from. And Lord, I pray also that we would be faithful, like the man in this text, to go out and to declare to others what great things You have done for us. For your honor and for your glory we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.